Bleep Blurp. Hey there, Shopamaniacs. I'm Davatron5000, and with me is Christopher Coyer. <laughs> is that your bot voice? Yeah, I uh, outsourcing this to AI now, Chris. Oh. I, I just figured, you know, this was like a way, really... I don't know. Feels like the show to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why is that why is there even a connection between voices and AI? There totally is though, isn't it? Like the I don't know. I don't know. Especially in understanding voices and producing them, I guess, man. I can't get enough of those like Joe Biden and Trump playing video games together. And if AI has anything to do with that, that's I'll take it. Might be the peak, you know. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) That's as good as it gets. We've already hit it, people. But of course, we're here to talk about the biggest one of the biggest things to happen in tech of course in the last i don't know many years you know you can't read the news without hearing about it that of course being superconducting at room temperature that's that's everybody's favorite no no we of course we have a guest on we have uh swix otherwise known as sean wang what's up thanks for joining us man we'd love having you chris dave well, uh, good to be back. Friend of the show, I'd say. Um, yeah, good to be back indeed. We always have you on because you're you're a you're a thinker. You know what I'm saying? You uh, you always have you always have something to say. Sometimes it's spicy. Sometimes it's more often than not. I just find it well considered. You're a good writer. And these days, so um, um, let's back up just a little bit further than that, though, because you have this interesting story that I think frames it, which is that you started in some totally unrelated to tech field entirely finance or something, right? That's your early story. And then pieced out of that for tech for various reasons and then had this whole thing in tech. You bounced around companies that we've all heard of, Amazon and Netlify. I don't even remember your whole stack of companies, but they're all pretty cool. Yeah, the last time we met uh, was at Cascadia JS, and I actually gave a, a talk that kind of charted my history and journey through tech and why you should pay attention to each of those things. And um, I you know, I, I don't, I'm not super proud that, like, you know, I haven't, I, I only stayed at Amazon like a year, um, but I've learned a lot in, in, in my time. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of optimizing for personal growth rather than like the beauty of my CV, I guess. Uh, um, no, I think it's fine. Especially I think it syncs up with your like, I like to think about the industry and what's happening. Yes. And I like to paint a picture of what's happening there in a way from these kind of 10,000 foot views that I think a lot of people don't often see. And so if that requires you to bounce around a little bit to get that perspective, I think the world benefits from that. So there you go. And and But recently another hop, I guess it's tech adjacent this time, but somehow feels entirely different to me at least. And that's to this AI stuff. So we weren't joking around. We are going to to do an AI show. Welcome to the AI show of Shop AI Talk show. show. Yeah. And you you feel a little all in on it to me is that does it feel that way to you? Yeah. Yeah. So this uh what I did here was the same thing as my career transition from finance to web development, which was do it on the side for 6 months, uh feel around if if like there's potential here that's fit between me and the the problem domain. And once I have decided to do it, uh, actually cut ties and go all in. Um, and so I'm about uh, a year into the journey. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you're there. So that makes you the perfect person to talk to yet again for this this type of thing. I'm hoping in this show, we'll just see where it goes, to kind of connect AI. Because the people listening to this show, of course, being mostly web designers and developers, are are going to be interested in knowing okay well why should why should i care then and i think that answer is 
clear in some real, like, obvious ways, like, you should use GitHub Copilot. That's AI-powered, and it helps you code. But I don't know that anybody's confused about that at the moment. Um, but but that, there's just so much more to it than that. <laughs> Right, so so we're gonna get into that. Let's let's mention at the top that uh, uh, Sean Swicks here has a uh, a podcast of your own, Latent Space. It's called. So oh, yeah, you. let's <laughs> do that. Uh, uh, tell us we about were, that we, real quick. Um, so Latent Space is actually the newsletter that I first started writing uh, a year ago, and then uh, around about February this year. So it's only five months old. Uh, February this year, we started a podcast around it, uh, just interviewing people just because I, I, I feel like you can, you can only be so original and just writing by yourself. Once you actually have people and people to interview, you, you can actually mine new tokens as, as they say, uh, and, and get more original insights. And, and the podcast has been popping off. Um, uh, we had, we count them on our, our listeners, you know, Mark and Jason, Satya Nandela, uh, and Andre Karpathy. And, uh, you know, at one point we were the top 10 us tech podcasts, which is, which is fun. You know how these things go. It's a, it's only a ranking for a day, but, uh, right, yeah, right, fun. right. I think we hit the top <laughs> 100 in the Netherlands once. So it was a big day for us. <laughs> no, I think you guys are pretty high up because <laughs> you've been doing this a hot minute, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, so lane space is just, uh, my, I guess, uh, exploration and journal about, uh, how software engineers should think about AI. Uh, and and I recently, um, you know, condensed this into the, I think the title of the AI engineer, and I think that's where, even if you don't have a PhD, even if you don't have uh, years of experience in machine learning engineering or anything like that, if you know how to wrangle an API, uh, you should actually start taking a serious look because this is um, given you new capabilities that you haven't uh, considered before. Yeah, I can see that. So uh, as web developers, we all we can wrangle APIs. Dave over there, you can wrangle a hot API, I'd Ooh, say. I'm you know? posting, I'm getting, yeah. patching. Maybe yeah. even caching. I don't know. Yeah. Doing, doing stuff with APIs. Th- that, of course, must be hotly interesting to web developers because they're like, wait, I can just like send a paragraph or something to... to some URL endpoint and then get back better stuff. Surely that's how some apps have taken advantage of this and integrated it into their products, right? Like at CodePen, if we were to just be like, make a pen for me that's a rainbow that animates from left to right or something, there's some chance that there's an API out there that could maybe like help us get that feature done, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think that's where it starts. And then you quickly realize that there is an art to prompting and there's an art to code generation and then there's an art to chaining these things together to get the desired result. So it starts easy and then has, a, I guess, a slope of complexity as, as you uh, ramp up in your seriousness. See, that's that's what gets me, the the art of prompting, you know, I, I and I would love to kind of get your kind of whatever TLDR just how do you do a good prompt? Cause I type stuff in all the time and it's like, eh, like, like make me a, Im, uh, whatever I did a, one for image generation, like for a D and D character. And I was like, kind of like a cyborg lumberjack, you know? And, uh, it came back with some like downright awful stuff. <laughs> I mean, just like hideous, uh, pictures. I eventually kind of got one that was like serviceable, but like not great, you know, but, um, like, uh, I'm just kind of curious. And like, now you're blaming yourself because you're like, well, I didn't type in all the right stuff. Well, yeah, that's like, it feels like I'm like, 
praying to a god, you know, like like please, 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 <laughs> if I'm really good, give me back a cool one, you know, like so. How do you do? I, I guess how do you get better at prompt engineering? Um, and I'll just add the constraint on a dime. <laughs> of course, if you have like infinity dollars, it actually is. I mean, most of these resources are completely free. Uh, it's more about the investment in time. Um, I will say like. Um, Prompt engineering is very much last year's story, um, and uh, there are people walking around with the title of prompt engineer. But uh, I, I think the scope of the AI engineer encapsulates a lot more uh, writing of code uh, than just prompting. So I just want to set that up front in case people think that we're only going to talk about prompt engineering for an hour. No, no, I just let's keep it time boxed here for like the next five or so. And and instead of, instead of talking to a god, actually you're more like talking to like an intelligent 14-year-old, uh, which is more relatable to parents. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it follows yeah, instructions, okay. sometimes it disobeys them, but you know, it, it actually has some kind of intelligence that you can use to do some tasks. Uh, and I would say like the, the two main ways I would recommend to get better at prompting, uh, one is learn by example. Um, one of the Early successes of this current wave of AI was Mexica.art, which is a, a prompt search for images. And a, a lot of the ways that people learned how to do text-to-image generation is literally just look up other people's examples, copy their prompts, and tweak it a little bit. Um, surprise, surprise, like that's very similar to CSS and <laughs> how we copy over uh, components yeah. and, and tokens and stuff. Um, and then the other... Uh, so once you have that sort of unstructured learning down... Um, then you start to have a philosophy around like what works in prompts. And that is actually the domain of active research. And sometimes you can read papers around that. Um, there's one uh, by, I think, Kojima et al. that actually did some automated sort of prompt uh, research among like, you know, hundreds and thousands of patterns that they found. Uh, and you find that like certain magic keywords actually do improve the performance of prompts a lot. Like, um, so the famous one is let's think step by step. And we can talk about why that works, and like we've we've backed up the reason why, but it's like not immediately obvious. Um, and uh, I think the the best way to do uh, to to think about prompting is uh, adopting some kind of framework about what you want to do, uh, who you are, uh, who you, who it is for. Maybe like let's say you're you're generating text for an audience, so you just describe your audience, uh, describe uh, your role as a as a as, uh, like who you are as an as an author. Um, and then maybe the style uh, of, of um, uh, text that you want to generate, uh, assuming that we're only talking about text. You know, there's, there's also code, there's also audio and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but, but the bulk of the work is going to be text. And so having these like, basically mad libs of like, okay, the, the task you want, you want done, the role you are, the audience you're playing to, the style of, of, uh, of text you want, you want generated. And then kind of just filling in there or like having a, a drop down menu on like a list. Uh, there are many of these out there. Um, I would say Type Dream uh, is one of the more interesting um, examples of, an, of a third-party implementation uh, of like prompts libraries and, and just things you can grab and combine off the shelf. And uh, that's how you get better, just just by studying uh, the craft as other people have mapped out. And, but it's very unstructured, right? Like for the first time, there's no strictly typed API with a JSON schema definition uh, where you can kind of look up the docs. There's no docs. It's, it's just kind of trained on the code uh, on, a, on a text corpus of 300 billion tokens. And you just kind of have to vaguely pattern match to whatever you think is in there. So it's more than like an instrument. Like you just kind of have to learn how it plays. Oh, sort of. I love that. You're really good at the analogies. <laughs> <laughs> 
I built my whole empire. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, uh, um, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys play music, I, and sometimes it, it, like patterns emerge that are not inherent in uh, the instrument directly, right? I, I used to play the violin, and harmonics is not something you can kind of predict. It, it just you just find it in in the instrument, uh, and things emerge in uh, the LMs itself. So uh, what's what's really interesting and why there's a role for engineers over researchers is that even the researchers who created the models themselves don't fully know the full capability. So I, I talked about this in, in my post on like why, it's, why you are not too old to pivot into AI. Uh, there's a role for you here because uh, the, the sheer uh, scope of this, this sort of general intelligence is actually broader than any, any individual one of us can comprehend. Yeah, interesting. I, I, on the prompt thing, I, I watched a video and somebody was gave it like an acronym, CSIR, like context, like what you are asking for specific information, like I have 10 widgets or whatever, intent or goal, like kind of what you want out of it, and then response format uh, as needed. And I think that one was kind of like a... You know, could you like list it in a in steps, or could you like list it as a paragraph or whatever? So, um, anyway, I thought that was helpful. But, but I guess like my issue is like, and this I think kind of gets into like the broader thing of like building like your own AIs and small AIs. You said before the show, which I'm kind of curious about. But um, is there? It feels like there's like a consistency problem, kind of like that 14 year old teenager thing, right? Like I tell you to do one thing and then it goes off and does it. And then I say, do the same thing again. It goes and does a different thing. It feels like to me, like AI isn't even like eventually consistent. It's just kind of inconsistent, you know, like, and so in a world where AI is just kind of like flip of the coin, why would you like, I don't know, build a business on it or a feature in your product, you know, like what, isn't it kind of just rolling the dice with your users? So I would say the consistency has pockets of reliability and pockets of unreliability. And it's the, there's a little bit of an art to like finding pockets where you're like, okay, I can build a business on top of this. And people have, uh, you know, Jasper is like a $1.5 billion company uh, built purely on top of GPT-3. And uh, I would say just, yeah, a part of prompting, part of chaining prompts and, and doing all that good stuff uh, is taking the the, 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 the vast uh, expanse of like what it can possibly do and, and actually wrangling it into proper software. Uh, and this becomes a new kind of software that we're writing. Um, a lot of people are calling it software 3.0. Um, so kind of software 1.0 would be deterministic software that we write, you know, if statements, else statements, and everything is deterministic, uh, handcrafted by the programmer. Software 2.0 would be uh, traditional machine learning models where you have a custom data set and you train on that task, specifically like fraud detection, uh, spam bot detection. And then software 3.0 is where you have foundation models that have been just generally trained on a whole bunch of things and then taken off the shelf and prompted uh, to do specific tasks. Um, and I think what's new here and what we are uncomfortable with, what, what the source of your discomfort is that um, fundamentally here, we are dealing with a non-deterministic um, black box that is creative and generative instead of deterministic and limited. Um, and, and so I, I, I sense that discomfort, but I, and, and I'm okay with it because it's just a new tool in our toolkit now that we didn't used to have. And, and learning to wield it is just like learning anything else, to be honest. I, I think that just the fundamental new thing is that it is non-deterministic and we, we're just going to have to deal with that. So one thing I've heard in talking to like people at Google and stuff like that is like, your AI is kind of only as good as the data 
you seed it with or or like build it, like generate it with, I guess. Uh, what's the right term? Train it with. Yes. Train. Okay. Yeah, train. Sure. Um, you know, Chris Coyer, Code Pen, sitting on a mountain of yeah. <laughs> pen data, you know. I, I'm not saying like you should just harvest it. Don't scrape out. it. Yeah, Buy don't it. scrape it. It's for Buy sale. It is, it is for sale. It. Where is it for sale? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. But it's for sale. <laughs> if you like this secret, uh, you know, CodePen API announcement to to have, to, uh, that this would be a perfect time to plug it. No, okay. I don't. No, no big news in that regard. But of course, we're trying to make it as best as it can be. So like, how does how does Chris or or Dave Rupert train? You know, like even if I just wanted to use my pens, like how would I train an AI on my pens? I, like. I know it's like possible, quote unquote, but it it's like, yeah, uh, like going to the moon is also possible. But so wh- can you draw the line for me on how, yeah, how it kind of works? I think it's just like a question of where you are in, in in history. We are in a very early stages where everything is kind of, we're inventing the playbook as we go along, um, you know, skip along a few decades and it'll be one click on, on some platform or other. I would say that you don't train these large models on just your data. Um, they typically get their insights and um, uh, abilities from training on everybody's data. Uh, so there's a ver- there's a massive incentive to centralize and to um, uh, for the largest players to to keep getting bigger, just because um, they already have the the largest pools of data uh, on which to train from. Uh, and then if you want to customize it to your code style, uh, to patterns that, that you specifically have uh, coded before and want to repeat, um, then you can fine tune it on to, you know, uh, the Davidron 5000 account on, on CodePen. And I think... Uh, yeah, yeah, is what is that called? Is that like applying context or providing context? Or, so context or... means it's a very specific thing in, in um, AI or LLMs. Uh, context just means like sticking relevant examples of your prior work into the prompt before you add your real prompt. So it's kind of like a hack into the real prompt. So if you heard about things like the context window, where GPT three or four have like four thousand, eight thousand tokens in their context window, that's that's a, the amount of space you're allowed to to input into uh, the LLM to produce the the the, the code or the the language that you want. Um, but fine tuning is just additional training on top of foundation models. Oh, the fine. Okay, so is that like okay? So I can start with an LLM, large language model, and then fine tune it through my own thing. I assume there's tools out there. I hear like Langchain in the mix and whatever <laughs> different. Yeah. Langchain but- doesn't do fine tuning. Langchain is more more of a chaining, prompt, uh, prompt chaining. And uh, it's basically, it's very funny. The way that this industry is developing is like very early web development. Uh, so uh, the best analogy is that it is jQuery for AI engineers. Uh, it's a collection of tools. God, this is so interesting. So I start with like, give me this. And then it says, cool. Yeah. And, but give me this and then go and then, but give me this, like, and it's like kind of automating those five prompt steps basically, like to get a good result. And part of the steps could be document loaders, right? So for example, if you have, um, there, there's, uh, we'll talk about this in a bit, but one of the disciplines in AI engineering is retrieval augmented generation, which is, uh, generating text, but based on examples that you retrieve from your code base. So it could be from your code base. It could be from uh, your corpus of like a textbook or your docs, whatever it is. Anytime people do like chat with your docs or chat with your code base or anything like that, 
that is retrieved for augmented generation. Uh, and, and so MagChain also does uh, help with that. But also there are plenty of people doing alternative frameworks and rolling their own, right? It's, it's so early that there is no clear winner. So, oh gosh, that breaks, that's a, fills in a misunderstanding gap I had, I, I think, is that somehow in my brain, like if, if I'm, I don't know, coding and I'm using the LLM thing to help me code in some way, that my expectation is that it's trained kind of like just on my stuff or on just other code from GitHub or something. It's not part of like this massive LLM and then just and then scope down later, but it it, it is or like <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely, it is. It is okay. Yeah. It's scoped later. So here's like the okay. This is hopefully this isn't too much of a wild card. But you know Luke Luke Rabluski Luke W dot com. He did a bunch of startups. So he's at Google these days. I think he's and he's prolific in his writing and presentations and stuff, lukew.com. But you can go to ask.lukew.com, and he's like, I'm going to make my stuff use uh, AI of some kind. And if you go to ask.lukew.com, you can just, like, ask it stuff. And it's, according to his little writings about this, he's just playing around with it. It just returns stuff from his own presentations and his own videos and PDFs and blog posts and stuff like that. So we're saying that this it wasn't actually just trained on Luke's stuff. It was trained on all kinds of stuff and then is somehow just scoped to Luke's stuff in the last mile. Like, I don't know if, if I'm explaining that correctly, but... Uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, probably what happened. And... That's just because most of us will never produce nearly enough uh, words to train these kinds of models. Uh, the reason they're large language models is they take uh, a huge corpus and the number of parameters uh, in them are huge. So just to give you an idea of order of magnitude, uh, it's about 300 billion words to train GPT-3. And the latest Llama 2 model from Meta was 2 trillion words. Um, and, and that actually teaches it all sorts of things from world knowledge about like what entities are and what objects are um, to words to being able to complete sentences, <laughs> everything and anything in between. Um, and then you find and then you um, you don't fine tune it. You, you do retrieval augmented generation, the, the thing I just told you about. And it's mm -hmm. been specifically trained to pay attention to the last few items, the context window, um, where you can insert in, let's say, you know, your blog posts or whatever, and, and it can start generating text only scope to that. But it will hallucinate things that um, maybe don't exist in the source text. Um, it's just harder to find. And that's one of the difficult engineering challenges. Oh, wow. So even though on Luke's website here, I could ask it like, I don't know, how do you make cotton candy or something? And it might just tell me even though Luke has never written about that in his life. Yeah, I mean, but there, there's tricks around that, uh, around sourcing of uh, your information, like basically you cite your work, right? Like it's it's all like, <laughs> it's actually, if you're like a elementary or middle school teacher, you might actually see a lot of patterns to you know, don't make this up, like, you know, show your work. And, and, and we're, a lot of us are doing the same thing uh, with the uh, AI APIs that we're writing. I, I would also say, I guess, that um, you don't have to do this at, at the beginning. Um, I, I, I do think there's a, maybe like a multiple stages of adoption uh, to, to, Ooh, to go here. Oh, tell me about that. Um, mm. Oh, I, I don't have an actual framework or anything to pitch. I, I, I you know, I, I, definitely people are out there, you know, putting together long Twitter threads about this stuff. Uh, but just 
in terms of prompting, like the, 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 the art of retrieval augmented generation there is, is a fairly well mapped out discipline by now. And you can kind of go down a standard set of tutorials. Um, I'll talk about this later, but I, I am working on a tutorial for that kind of stuff um, to, towards uh, synthesizing this thing. Um, so you, uh, just to leave uh, breadcrumbs for people looking to do more, um, look into vector databases like Chroma or LanceDB, look into uh, re retrieval augmented generation tools like Langchain, but also you, know, you can handle it yourself. In fact, you should handle it yourself to understand it. And then look into hypothetical document embeddings, uh, which help you match uh, what you, the, qu the queries that you embed to the documents that you actually want to retrieve. Um, and there's all, there's all sorts of patterns beyond that, but those are the, the basic starting points. Yeah, there's so many words to know. You know, that's part of what <laughs> makes it intimidating to me is that we know the big ones. I know what Llama is, I guess. And I know what everybody knows, OpenAI and their models. That makes sense. But then you're like, what? Are, but the startup space is huge, and all kinds of things are trying to help you. But this is, this is again, like shattering some of my understanding of some of that. We were saying that in order to have this be useful, it's got to be a massive model. And again, we're talking about text mostly, but it probably applies to anything. So if you're a, if you're a startup in this space, you're probably built on the back of bigger models. It's not like you're bringing some new model to the party. You're bringing some DX or something to the party. Well, I, I just think like it's how a lot of startups function anyway. So this is no different to me than like I build on top of AWS. Yeah, right. It's no different to me than I build on top of some framework I don't own. Uh, but someone else put in the large, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into building this framework or setting up this service, and I can use it to write the last mile to, to, to do, make a product that's useful for my end customers who don't actually care what I implement uh, under the hood. They just care what I can do for them. And uh, there's just a set of, function, uh, of actual creative generative new use cases that uh, I, can, I can now create. And I think that's what people care about. So it's like I can, another analogy incoming, uh, <laughs> warning signs. Uh, like I can, I don't know how to write a global uh, mapping system, but I can use embed a Google map on my web page. <laughs> like, and I can set some markers and say, make a map that's kind of in the, these bounds, right? So Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so I have this little menu bar app, and I, I use it for coding probably like 20 times a day. Um, anytime Ooh, really? I want to look... Yeah, I do. Um, it's it's Copilot plus plus. You know, Copilot is is uh, really good for autocomplete. Really good for if you if you write a comment of a function you want to implement, it can just go ahead and implement the function. Uh, but for just general things, um, I have this project called Small Developer that uh, is a coding agent that goes from prompt to full app. So you can just literally say, I want a snake game. I want a tic tac toe app. I want a VS Code extension. I want a Chrome extension. That of that size and complexity, uh, and it can produce the whole thing, um, including so for example, uh, maybe a hot take or admission here. I've never learned CSS animations. I've tried, you know, I've I've pulled up the CSS tricks articles and I've really tried, but I can't memorize it. I just don't have the practice. I don't have the patience to do it. But now I can just punch it in into uh, an LLM and go like, give me a you know candy stripe loading indicator with ten pixels and rounded, and it just does the thing. That's great. Right. Okay. So that that's an example where Copilot isn't wasn't the right. There's actually a different way to interact with these models that somehow works better for you. That it's Copilot isn't the last story in in how to how to interact with with these with these models. You even brought up a point that I, I don't know that everyone 100 percent understands. Is 
I think the easiest, you know, once you've installed and activated Copilot, you can't miss it. As you type, it's suggesting crap, and then you hit tab or whatever. But there's this other way to use it that's more prompt-like, where you literally use the code comments above the thing, and then it's and then it's more, it's like sees what you're doing, and it might suggest more code than just like the extension of the line. You know, it's like the following function will, you know, take a URL and look for the word candy in it and return true or false or something like if you explain what you want you're gonna you're gonna kind of get that but that is still pretty scoped to like just a f- one file for example and not know, even my, a file it's it's typically a single function or, or a few lines of a function uh, if you're talking code me a i don't know tic-tac-toe app like you explained that's a larger scope and you're saying there's there's tools already that can help with that yeah i made one <laughs> yeah. but, but i'm not i'm not plugging my own i get i'm just saying it's it's possible I, I i did it in a weekend it's not that hard the more you explore the capabilities of these tools then you'll know when to pull them in and i, I think for at least for people who are like skeptical cynical or maybe just uh, apprehensive just having a sampler is really helpful of like here are the capabilities that other people have explored and you should know them whenever you want to pull them out because uh, they are very helpful um, <laughs> just because like a lot of this is low level boilerplate right like i think what the opportunity offers is that we get to elevate ourselves from writing every every single line of code towards reviewing the code that is generated and prompting it to to tell it what we what we want and just kind of reviewing it because it's going to make errors you know you should not check it in uh, on, uh, yeah, you know, without right. without review even though people do uh, github estimates about 40% of people 40% of lines of code checked into github are um, checked in unreviewed or uh, unchanged from github copilot wow <gasps> i'm guilty 40% guilty. <laughs> sorry my entire test suite <laughs> but how does it really know? Like my eyes maybe looked over it really quick and I'm just so familiar with the kind of code that it generated that like, how, how would it know that I actually reviewed it? I don't know. That seems funny. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's there's some, uh, so people have done studies and say like it, it does generate unsecure code. And it's kind of like how, you know, with the like Tesla autopilots, um, they want you to keep your your hands on ten and two, you know, uh, and, and and never stray and, and not go to sleep because even though it's kind of self driving, you still have to monitor it. And we don't have the equivalent of that in 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 code generation or AI yet, um, where we can say like, no, like you, we, we really require human review. Uh, so there's a certain amount of like self discipline that needs to be done, or just at least just like good testing. You know, I I, I think like ultimately this helps you generate boilerplate um, much better. Um, but it doesn't replace the human processes of like actual, you know, checking and, and uh, designing with uh, with the end user in mind. Yeah. And you keep saying it's early days. It totally is. Right. Like, I don't think there's any doubt that we haven't seen where this is totally heading yet. But it all, it does already seem like a big deal. Um, I always when I talk with with general people, I talked to the guy about who, uh, who owned a restaurant and he was he was so pleased with himself to use not. I'm not he's a nice guy. I'm not trying to be like you're dumb. He was made used it to iterate on like res, uh, like menus for catering, and I thought that was really clever actually. And then was skilled enough with it to adjust the prompts and be like, "Yeah, you did a pretty good job, but I don't have any mangoes, so adjust it and stuff like that." Really basic stuff. And then I was like, "Man." That's great. Good for you. Staying on top of the world. You should see what it's doing for us coders, though, man. Like, we, we really benefit a lot. I benefit all day, every day. It probably, I don't know if it makes me twice as fast, but it's getting there. 
you know? So I'm thinking about that, about how <clears throat> I probably am better and faster. So that's a something. So just I just want to throw that out there for everybody listening to this. Like it, if you've never even tried it, which I know there are some of you out there, it really is. It's just good, <laughs> right? Like it, it helps you know. And then I was in my uh, local Slack. We have a Ben JS. Slack group, so just my little town, and the, a conversation just started the other day. It was like, and it was just generic. It was like, who's using AI code helper tools? And I bet it was 50-50. So there are some people that were just like, nah, just haven't yet, you know, which is a good reminder of how early days this is and how some people just are just uninterested or something. They're not even Luddites. It's just early days, you know? And, and I don't know, I probably misused that word, but uh, then there's then there's some people that uh, the more common, the most common response was, I can't because work won't let me. <laughs> Have you seen that one yet? Yeah. 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 It's, I'd say it's uh, probably like for real use cases is probably a top complaint. Um and there's others, you know, there's professors who require usage. There's, there's other companies who buy, actively buy ChatGPT subscriptions for every single employee. Uh, so there's a very wide range of opinions and that's completely fine. You know, you have to decide, as with any new technology, you have to decide how comfortable you are with it and, and what uh, the safe boundaries are. Um, I, I will say like there are companies that are emerging that um, will give you the privacy guarantees that you want. Uh, it's obviously very important for the Europeans. And anyone working in healthcare, defense, uh, anything like that. Um, uh, so, like, yeah, don't count it out because there are options out there. Um, if you use it a, as an excuse not to explore, uh, I, that's where I'm like a little bit against it because it's not like people aren't running into these. Uh, you're not alone in running into these issues. People have actually worked on solving them. They're out there uh, and they are looking for you too. So, um, yeah, work won't let me. Um, I think I, I think it is is a, is a barrier. But also, if you really want it enough, there are there are supply there, there are people out there who will give you like a, a LLM inside of a Docker container that you can run inside of your own uh, environment that is fully controlled by you, right? Like, so, Sourcegraph is doing that. Codium is another podcast guest that I've had on is doing that. Um, there's, there's a bunch of people. Mm. Enterprise-friendly AI. Hell yeah, of exactly. course they are. Oh, yeah. yeah, they want to <laughs> charge you 200 bucks a head or whatever well, that, they do. That seems like, I don't know, the way to do it. Just sort of a clean room. Like, hey, don't go tell the world about this one. Well, yeah, so then, like, well, then the question is, obviously this gets into a whole privacy debate, which we, we have no uh, expertise over, but uh, how, how unique is your code? You know? Right, right. <laughs> Well, I just uh, getting into like customer data or like how not like, you know, I, like I talked to a friend who works at Salesforce, you know, it's, it's like knowing customers isn't like cool, exciting, but like knowing customers who are about to peace out is maybe interesting and maybe somewhere where AI can like do that. But I don't want to just send a list of my customers to openai.com, you know, for sure. Um, like that would, so like a clean room for that would be kind of cool. But um, yeah, you even got to adjust your understanding of what's even happening, right? Like you're probably not actually, what data is going back to them? True. Yeah. Like I don't even know, like some, <laughs> uh, yeah, everything in the prompts. Yeah. But you don't see See the prompts, you know? Exactly. Yeah. OpenAI has promised uh, that they do not train on, on the data that you send them from that API. Uh, you just have to believe, take them at their word. Uh, but but also, like, uh, I would I would just say I, I think they don't care. 
<laughs> so <laughs> probably, but you almost wish that they would, right? Like in my mind, I I, I kind of not all the time, but I, I w- like as I'm coding in my mind, I'm like, ooh, this thing's getting smarter as I code because it's learning my code base better. But it's not really. <laughs> no, right? no, it's a, it's a static model that, uh, and they guard their uh, the training data sets very closely. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, it's there's many solutions out there. Keep an eye open. You know, OpenAI is not the uh, not the only story in town. And and if you if if you have privacy concerns, there's that's one issue. But you know, there there are many other problems that people deal with in applying AI. And it's not just code generation, by the way. We we you know. I, this, this many modalities is, is the word that people use to describe this. So a modality would be like text generation, modality would be audio generation, modality would be uh, code generation. And, and all these modalities um, offer different and unique challenges, but and also opportunities. Well, that was kind of like uh, where I wanted to go next. Like as, as a web developer who wants to whatever, leverage some AI, what, what modalities are like, what what should I be looking to do and like kind of what's possible and what do you think people aren't doing? I have some scenarios if you're interested, but like what's sure. Like, can I just send like two thing, two pieces of JSON and say, Hey, what's good? You know? Yes. <laughs> like, or like, what's bad about this? You know, or what happened? What happened? You know, like, and it can like generate stuff. Is that sort of like something that can do? Yeah. Uh, uh, comparing JSON, uh, uh, charting a code base, very, very fun. Take any code base, whatever, anything that's open source and, char- and uh, throw it in there and ask it to draw a diagram. Uh, and it's it's really good at that. Um, wow, really? <laughs> yeah, I do it all the time. It's fantastic. Uh, Does it, it's, because it understands like imports or <laughs> AI is no ESM? <laughs> it just understands the, the, the structure of, uh, of code, right? And, and there's, that's inherently easy to, to graph. Um, and you have to just kind of hint it, uh, you know, yeah. And so like, oh, color this box or like, you know, give it some kind of legend. But it does all the things. By the way, Code Interpreter is a mode of open of ChatGPT that you can pay for twenty dollars a month. That gives you a sandbox to execute the code in uh, and actually do charting as well. Um, so I would, if you're doing anything like visual, anything data analysis, you can upload a CSV and ask it to analyze the CSV. Anything like that, uh, use Code Interpreter, which is a special mode inside of ChatGPT that uh, if you're not close to the story, you haven't, you, know, you maybe haven't tried out. It is the best thing since sliced bread. I, I, will, I will vouch for it. It's a way of flagging it and saying, what I'm about to send you is code. So you should know that. No, 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 no. What, about, what I'm about to send you is data and please write code to analyze this data. And sometimes that data is in the form of code. Uh, but so coming back to the modality question, so the, uh, I'll, I'll just map out the, the, the rough sequence, right? Um, first, learn how to interact with the GPT-3 uh, API uh, and prompt it. Second, learn about prompt tooling, you know, the retrieval augmented generation stuff we already talked about. Third, learn about code generation. Fourth, uh, image generation. Uh, fifth, uh, speech to text. So that's kind of audio. And then you can also go the other way, text to speech. And that's really fun. Uh, when, uh, I, I've had a phone call with an AI and it goes, you can go back and forth. Uh, there's, there's, there's this amazing company, vocode.dev. Um, and, and the latencies are so good and the com- that you can have a conversation with these things. It's amazing. So they, 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 do, they do speech to text and text to speech and then, and t- and then obviously text to text in between um, to, to generate all these conversations. It's amazing. Uh, and then f- uh, number six is uh, fine tuning and running open source models because everyone cares about that. And then, f- and then the last is uh, dabbling in agents. So that's kind of like the, the, the sort of seven day sequence I've, I've kind of mapped out there. Interesting. Don't you have a, is that a time to plug your course? Don't you have some that does that, what that course takes the shape of? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I just think like this is how I would introduce it to my friends. 
like, hey, if you don't have that much time, you know, here's the main things you need to work, you need to know exist because these are all like extremely good, well proven out, available to everybody, and you are just choosing to ignore them. Um, so yeah, that, that's the email course I'm working on uh, at, at, at Layton Space. Uh, and to me, it's just, it's a free course. I'm not going to make money off of it. I just think like everyone asks me for like, where do I start? And like, this is my like one answer because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And is that for somebody who's going to, so you're, you're advocating for this term AI engineer. I think you're going to win that battle probably. It just rolls off the tongue pretty nicely, but also (laughs) does it mean I have to be that or can I be both? You know, like, can I just still be a web developer and, and also just take all these and just be both or like, is it pay to specialize or whatever? No, no, absolutely not. I, I, you know, obviously everything's a spectrum and you can assume multiple hats in, in your life. Um, I just think this is a, someone needs to lay out the syllabus, uh, or like map out the fields as, as much as it's established. And this is like my high confidence map of things that I know to be valuable and, and doable and you should know. Um, there's a lot more experimental things that I'm like not sure about that I'm not going to put in put in there. But the stuff that I, I, I can make mandatory here is like stuff that you should know. And I, I think um, everyone needs that approach in, in terms of learning anything. Like what is a core set of skills that everybody like must know, even if you're like not dabbling in it day to day professionally. I see. I see. It's one of these like you should, you know, you should learn a little HTML first and then you should learn the box model and then you should learn enough JavaScript to hit an <laughs> API or to do a click handler or whatever. It's that kind of strength. Yeah. 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 And, and I'll mention like this intersection, you know, you're talking, you're asking me about this intersection of the AI engineer and, and software engineer. Um, I've actually started pulling in some of our, our front-end friends. Uh, I think you might you might be familiar with uh, Amelia Wattenberger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, she she's been spending the past couple years at GitHub on Copilot, and she's uh, she's been she's been doing some really interesting demos on the side. And um, I actually organized the first AI UX meetup in SF, and I think there's a huge amount of potential for front-end engineers in particular to embrace AI because. The capabilities are there. There's actually not that much of a heavy backend component. It's really about making it accessible to the end user to um, and, and creating new human interfaces to interface with the with the with the models. Right. She had her and both Maggie Appleton had posts that were very, I loved because we talked all, all this time about prompts and I know I even sent some pushback from you like ah prompts is last year kind of thing. I, I also like <laughs> I like don't love them. Like I, I it's not that I couldn't learn it, but I'm like, does it seems so early that I have to craft a prompt? Oh man, like I don't. That's it. That's weird. Like why? Do, I'm more interested in these tools that like the prompt. Even if the prompt is what the API does behind the scenes, I don't want to write it. And that's what it seems like. Copilot works for me. It's like the prompt is just like whatever's happening around where my cursor is. And Amelia had this post of like a writing tool that there was no prompting. There's just writing, and then wherever your cursor was there was it was almost like analyzing the text around where your cursor was and it was saying like oh this piece of writing um i'm gonna click the happy face could you make it like happier somehow or like could you elaborate a little bit there and it was so and i'm assuming what behind the scenes it takes that chunk of text the paragraph that's around where the cursor is and then you click the happy face and what's happening behind the scenes is it's adding additional prompt information that's like take that piece of code and make it sound happy or whatever kind of crap you have to write into the prompt and then comes back from the API something that you surface like how about this 
And then you're like, sure, sounds good, I accept. That's awesome. That's like a great user experience around editing a text document. And her, hers was, I think it was hypothetical. I wouldn't doubt that she's built it or somebody has some something like it. Yeah, She's demoed it. Yeah, so both Maggie's and um, Amelia, both of them spoke at uh, the, the, the meetup. Maggie was a core organizer. And uh, yeah, it, it all came out of this AI UX meetup that, that we organized. Uh, the, f- the, full, the full video is on, on, on YouTube. ChatGPT itself... Uh, OpenAI has, has, has been repeatedly calling it basically a UX innovation. Like the models were there, someone needed to come along and shape it into an app. And, and suddenly that blows up because now people can actually use it. Uh, and so like I strongly encourage designers and UX people, UI people to embrace this because there's so much opportunity to, for you to unlock the last mile of value um, and, uh, and just make it, show the, show the creativity, creative potential of the machine because like right now we, we, we do a lot of forms you know uh, a lot of work is forms and and uh, data tables and uh, displays and now we can actually kind of break out of that paradigm and, and create new things uh, you know um, in, in, including by the way um, ephemeral UI UI that is generated on the fly based on the use case and, and context that you can because you can write code and, and then you can run it so why not uh, generate tables on the fly. That blows my mind a little bit. Like you're like, you're doing some rote task and somehow it understands what you're doing. And it's like, Ooh, I'm going to actually write a quick little program to help you do that task. <laughs> and then you can do it and then just throw it away because you're done. Right. doing that. Yeah. So the, the, the ability to generate throwaway code is actually much, uh, much better or the activation energy is much lower. Um, and that's, that's fantastic if you know what you're doing. Right. Uh, it's very easy to burn yourself if you if you don't know what you're doing and you're just kind of yeah, is that why you're saying this isn't replacing anybody's jobs is because like you still need this high level of understanding of what's going on. Yeah, the, 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 the phrase I often go with is that everyone just got a junior developer and it's up to you to supervise them and, and put them to work. If you don't know how to put them to work, you're not going to benefit. The dark side being, let's say it does make you twice as productive. We know about capitalism and how it works. <laughs> Your boss isn't going to be like, well, take when Thursday and Friday off then. You're crushing it. They're going to say, well, we expect you to be that productive all the time then. I mean, to me, that does have a ring of darkness that I don't love. But what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, then this kind of maybe brought us out to general philosophy of like software. Um, there's there's always more tickets that we can ever handle. Right. Uh, so it just <laughs> helps us um, handle more tickets. By the way, there are many startups working on the uh, GitHub issue to PR flow, like create an issue in linear GitHub and then it auto generates a PR. Oh, my God. It's like I got an idea how to fix that particular bug. I've also, oh. I've also heard the opposite, like Stack Overflow and some maintainers are just burdened by all these AI Garbage PR, SEO, you know? SEO content as well. It's just gonna people are gonna be spammed by by all sorts of garbage. So it creates new problems too. Creating spam, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I unfortunately have a hard stop, so we have to like put an end to this conversation. I super apologize because uh, I'm uh, that's enjoying right, it. Um, I just uh, Sean, thanks for coming on. Like, I think I don't know. There's a lot of hype around AI, and it's really easy to like be a hater. I guess you know. Uh, is it is it uh, crypto 2.0? You know, but like I think I think you've done a really great job like demystifying some of the like sort of stuff about it. So I, I think that's uh, so much. really cool. Uh, and I don't know. We'll we'll have to chat some more. But I guess before yeah, this went way too fast. So yeah, what's and I, I got a hundred more questions here. So <laughs> we'll have to do it again. But uh, for those uh, who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? 
<laughs> uh, I'm still on Twitter for now, or X as they call it. Uh, I don't need your money. Uh, I, I guess if you are interested in learning more about AI engineering, uh, the site is latent.space. I'm very into the custom domains these days. Uh, and uh, the conference I'm doing is AI.engineer, which is in uh, October. Um, and we're gathering all the AI engineers. Come join in. Very cool. All right. Well, um, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this new product. Got your choice. Be sure to start figure it out. Let's find out about the show. If you built something cool with AI, let us know. That'd be cool to know. Uh, and then, I don't know, I guess we're on X, Mastodon, or wherever. But anyway, um, join us in the Discord, of course. That's where all the cool stuff happens. Patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show. And Chris, got anything else you'd like to say? Whoa, ShopTalkShow.com. Mom, 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 mom,